Do you want to make games? Join the WVU Game Developers Club. They meet every Thursday at 6.30 in the Evansville Crossing, room 412. No prior experience is necessary. They help you make your first game, regardless of what background you have. Uh, everyone is welcome. You can check them out on Twitter at WVUGDC. Also check out their Facebook page. We hope to see you there. Hey, and welcome back to Game Talk, episode 11. Uh, we're finally back after a long hiatus, but this time we're here to stay for quite a while, the foreseeable future, actually. Uh, my name is Ahmed Mion. I'm joined by Connor Haynes and Michael Dumeyer. Hi, guys. I was the former guest, turned into host. Look at me now. Right. So our first topic today is going to be loot crates. If you're not familiar with the concept, basically a quote-unquote loot crate is an in-game item you can buy with real money that will, well, it doesn't necessarily have to be real money, but most often it is, that will drop basically random items. So in essence, it's, it's a little like gambling. You're spending money not knowing exactly what you're getting in return. And loot crates have become increasingly prevalent in many of the games of today, and that's a trend I don't see slowing down anytime soon. Right. They've uh, they've predominantly replaced microtransactions in games. I don't see um, being able to know what you're buying in many games anymore. Right. And the sort of surprising thing to me is how well it took. Like, loot crates are incredibly lucrative from a business standpoint. Right. It, it really snuck up on people because, like... A lot of games started it, and they like their intentions seemed good. Like Rocket League and Counter Strike started it. I feel like, and their loot crates, the most of the money from them went towards competitions, not to the actual company making the game. And I think the just personally looking at the trend, the biggest sort of delineation in like how loot crates were and how they are today was with the release of Overwatch. I want to say. Yeah, I, I think agree with that. I think they sort of set the template for how loot crates should be. I kind of want to take the discussion in the direction of do you think loot crates are okay and if not why and if so in what circumstances and that sort of thing. That's a really complicated topic. I think I, I think first we should decide whether or not we think loot crates are gambling by definition and I I'm in the camp that they're not and also I think that it's they're okay to have. Okay. Michael? Uh, it depends on, like, the type of loot crate. Like, Overwatch's loot crates, they're all cosmetic, and buying loot crates is a massive waste of money. Overwatch's loot crates, they're all cosmetic, and usually buying 50 loot crates is, because since you can't gain any money back from that, like you can't from CSGOs or services that allow you to sell your skins or whatever, buying a loot crate's a waste of time, unless you have money to spare. Whereas, like, CSGO, you buy a loot crate, you could sell off that and make more money back, potentially. That's more gambling than, say, Overwatch. I didn't know you could resell loot items in CSGO. In CSGO, CSGO yes, you can sell skins. That's interesting. Yeah, so you can make hundreds of dollars selling skins well, in Overwatch, or not Overwatch, Counter-Strike. So I would say that it is gambling because you're spending money not knowing exactly what you're getting. But I guess I see your point because you know you're getting a loot crate. What you don't know is specifically what is in that loot crate. And I guess you're making the conscious decision to potentially spend X amount of money to get nothing valuable in return. Well, my argument is that you you know what you're getting, and what you're getting is nothing. 
you, you there is no possible return on investment. Like you are paying for something and it's an item. You just don't know what that item is. You're not like But see that element of not knowing is why I think it falls into the gambling right, but like, category. A child can enter like like it's more of a gotcha pawn type thing. Like like those things you put a quarter in at a grocery store and you turn yeah. them out. Like a child can do that. That's not gambling. And that's exactly what a loot crate is to me. But right. you can't get a return investment in like CSGO crates are more gambling than Overwatch's crates. Where Overwatch's crates, you can't sell the skins afterwards and they're just kind of there. They just want to make, they're just there to make you look cool cool. CSGOs, you could make hundreds off a good drop. So you're gonna put hundreds in and expect maybe a hundred back. Where I come down in the end, ultimately, on loot crates. I'm okay if they have cosmetic items, but now you're starting to see games that include items that alter gameplay and give other players an edge. Like, uh, the most recent example I can think of, the Star Wars Battlefront 2 beta, in their loot crates, they had certain, like, mods and stuff that would reduce cooldowns, and that's not good. Right. Because then you're putting... You're creating like a weird strata where people who are willing to dump more money into the game could feasibly be better than people who aren't. Loot crates were also in the new Battlefront 2 were the only way to progress in the game. Like that was the only progression in the multiplayer. Right, and I, I know EA's argument is like, oh, you earn loot crates so easily through natural gameplay. But just the fact that the option is there to purchase them and bypass all that natural work you'd put in that kind of makes that point moot i think no i'm definitely with you there that i think uh battlefront 2 is an abomination <clears throat> in the way it does loot crates i i think that's horrible. i think you think it's an abomination in general but i do yeah just I, your I, opinions i, I, on I played the beta but like i'm just talking about the loot crates right now <clears throat> like it, it was just horrible mm-hmm. and it was also kind of the user interface was atrocious too and confusing to do loot crates and it uh, just as a side note, I did enjoy the beta, but I'm a huge Star Wars nerd, so. And then you have something like Sh- Shadow of War, where right, it's yeah. a loot system. You could only get orc legendary lords through real money to an extent, I think. Right, it was definitely strange to see loot crates in a single-player game to begin with. Right, and I, like it just goes to show that developers are seeing like the, the potential... They're, they're seeing dollar... They have dollar signs in their eyes. I mean, loot crates in a multiplayer type, you know, um, not necessarily a shooter, but any sort of multiplayer type setting, I could see, oh, you can spend some money to get some cosmetic stuff. That's always been around. But when you start shoving that into more single-player games is where, like, why is this here? Right. It seems insane. Um, just... It, it just... I, I haven't played it yet, but, like, in my mind, that just feels really out of place. Those two, like, a single-player game and loot crates just don't seem compatible at yeah. all to me. I wasn't following Shadow of War too much, but I remember this, the when when the news broke that they had loot crates, it, it stirred up a huge controversy. Like, oh, people yeah. People were very angry. It was, um, it wasn't a day-one purchase for me, but I was planning on buying it eventually, and now I, I just don't care. I have no intention right. of ever getting it. But it's, here's the thing. We're we're speaking from a perspective of like people who are super nerdy about the industry and stuff like that. Like looking at Shadow of War's initial sales, it just sold slightly less well in the opening days than the original. So like really, it didn't take a sales impact. It sold worse than the original. Just slightly. I would call that a massive sales impact. This one had a much higher budget and like 
much more. Well, I mean, than... only for the first few days, but obviously you can infer from that. Okay. But I, mean, I would consider that a huge like backlash. Mm, I don't. I don't know. I would consider I a huge back backlash to be a massive. You know. I expected this to sell far decrease, better than Shadow but... of Mordor. Mm. But I mean, I I could be wrong, but it's uh, who published that? WB Games. Okay. Yeah, that's right. I can't say anything about their sales expectations. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I I I didn't realize it had been that major. Um, um I'm actually somebody who's bought loot crates before. Like I I usually am not too against them. I've bought them in Rocket League. I I actually had a you know, I bought like probably 10 of them total and Rocket League and opened them and I still don't really regret that. Right. I mean, no, like when when it's completely cosmetic, it's harmless. It's just that I'm afraid that the longer they stay here, slowly but surely, developers are going to ease like pay-to-win options into their games. Right, and I have a problem with, in a $60 game, having loot crates. That seems kind of insane to me, because loot crates look like a free-to-play game mechanic. Right. Like, they just they just are. <clears throat> they don't seem to belong. Like, I've already paid my $60 for this game. Quit trying to get more money out of me. Right. And that's another kind. Of, that kind of segues into another thought. Loot crates, even though they're not inherently predatory, I feel like they kind of are. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. No, I would say they are inherently predatory because they do. I don't consider them gambling, but they do appeal to the same part of your Addiction, brain. Yeah. Yeah. That gambling does, and people get addicted to that. You really think easily. like maybe if you just spend like few more dollars for one more crate, you could get like that skin you really want or something like that. Right. It's the same, I mean, it's the same thing that is definitely more harmless in, like, Diablo, like that Skinner box, mm-hmm. you know, where, where and, and in Diablo, it's no big deal because you're just playing the game. You're having fun. That is the fun. But right. in a loot crate, you're spending money, and it, spending your money should not be the fun part of a game. Yeah. Yeah, the increased trend of loot crates in, like, every single game you can imagine is, even though... We all seem to agree that cosmetic loot crates are okay. I still would rather them just disappear entirely because I can see where it's all heading. Well, I, I have a small problem with cosmetic loot crates too, I guess, in that, that that's something that just used to be free, in a single-player game at least. Like, mm-hmm. all character customization used to just come with the game. You had it, and you could you may have to unlock it, but it was there. Right. And now we're at a point where it is practically impossible to buy a complete I mean, game. Like, I will never own every part of the game that I've purchased because... We as people who play video games, not us personally, but, like, just the gamers in general, are to blame because we show them that we will give them money for this. Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. So, like, I mean, until we stop paying for it, we're not going to stop seeing it. I mean, the data is certainly out there that companies make way more from loot crates than they ever did through other methods. Right. I mean, even even I myself, I, I I hate loot crate versus just purchasing cosmetics, but I've I am way more likely to buy a loot crate than I am to buy a cosmetic in a game. I guess because in my mind, I see that ninety nine cent key for a crate or something versus the five dollar cosmetic option. And you're like, and oh, like, I might just get that. Oh yeah, I yeah. might. Yeah. And then me, you never do. Let me buy that crate, and then yeah. It's an interesting new sort of evolution that our industry is it is, is going it's, through. It's kind of strange because in like 
in Rocket League, for instance, it created a whole economy where for a long time, one crate, because you got the crates by playing the game, mm-hmm. and you had to buy a key to open them. Right. And um, for a long time, one key was worth one crate. So you could just trade with other people, and it was fairly easy to find trades. Mm-hmm. And it, I didn't consider it a big deal. I traded for a lot of keys, and I, I had time to play the game. I didn't mind. I was right. getting free free paid cosmetics at that point, I felt like. And so I had no problem with it. But that economy has since tanked, to my knowledge, to where it's like it's like 10 crates for a key or something because there's mm. just too many crates. Right. The economy got flooded. Yeah. But I thought that was interesting. And, like, everybody won in that scenario, in my mind. Like, the people that wanted to pay could pay and get stuff faster than me. Mm-hmm. And me that didn't want to pay, but, like, I got to open some crates for free and have the fun. Right. What is uh, sort of the most egregious example of, like, predatory loot box you can think of? Or not necessarily predatory, but, like, damaging to the game experience. I, I definitely think it's Battlefront 2. As of right now, no I contest. would agree, yeah. Yeah, Battlefront 2 was pretty egregious in how it did it. Yeah. To, to have it affect gameplay that much and, like, to just, like... I mean, it just felt like that was the gameplay. Like, it was so rooted into the game. Right. It I've was. Also, I don't know if you guys heard about this, but um, it was integral to the game, like progression and the game mechanics. And when that's the case, it's right. It's Act- just very messy. I think it was Activision recently filed a patent that did um, microtransaction-based uh, matchmaking. So if you were looking at an item that you wanted in a loot crate or something, they would start matching you with a lot of people that had that item to make it look like you were more likely to get it. Mm, that's to try to yeah. yeah. And they haven't they have not employed that in any games, but they did patent an algorithm to do it. Yeah. I don't like that at all. That is so sketchy. Yeah. And yeah, I'm definitely I'm definitely opposed to that. Right. Yeah. Any final thoughts on loot crates? I when it comes down to it, I'm okay with cosmetic ones, but if I could flip the switch and just turn off loot crates in all games tomorrow, I would totally do it because I don't see, I don't like the trend of where they're heading. Yeah, that's I, how I. That's where I'm gonna end on that. I don't see any added value from them, but I also they're usually not enough that I will skip a game just because it has loot crates. Mm-hmm. Is what is where I stand. Michael, you have any? yeah, I loot crate. I want to see them go away, but. At the same time, I think they're here to stay. They are here to stay. Right. I mean, we've spoken with our money. Yeah, I I think they're here to stay, and I think that's a good transition into our next topic, which is games as a service. Right. Um, Do you want to give a little intro for that, Connor? So, yeah, I guess I'll kind of talk about how we got to games as a service as an industry. Games have been $60 for a really long time, and they haven't really adjusted with inflation at all. And they have gotten far more expensive to make. And uh, the argument could be made that, like, you make a game once and you can sell it to millions of people. There's no, like, cost to distribute, really. But the growth of the market has not been enough to offset that cost. That's why we have things like loot crates now. And um, as we've gone, a lot of people are saying that it's just not sustainable in this market to make a game that is $60, sell that game, and just end it there. You have to have something to keep money coming from your players as you go. Right, and so whether that be loot crates or some other type of microtransaction system within the game, 
right? A subscription service like right. MMOs did for a long time. Although I don't, I can't think of any subscription MMOs right now other than WoW that people play. Final much. Fantasy fourteen, I think. Final Fantasy fourteen. Yeah. yeah, I think that's all of them. Um, kind of dying out. These other like monetary means of like monetary gain end up being way more profitable than just selling a game for sixty dollars uh, at retail. Right, and I think I think publishers <laughs> think that adding all this stuff has less backlash than raising the price of the average game would would. Mm-hmm. And I I mean I'm in the can- like if we could raise our games to eighty dollars and get rid of this crap, I would be okay with that. I think. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think I would too. Because when you buy a game for sixty dollars right now, you're not really buying the whole game anymore. You're just not. You're buying. You're the- buying the base experience. And, you're and there will taste. certainly be DLC yeah, later but for, down for the road. Mo- yeah, for most games, you would have to spend at least another like fifty or sixty dollars to get the full game. Right. So like these uh, these games as a service type games that sometimes, quite often, actually release for free, and then just have systems within the game to generate revenue for the developer. I wouldn't say they release for free often enough, honestly. I mean, I can't name very many instances of a game. Like League of Legends, Dota Two. <laughs> Team Fortress 2. Those are all free. Um, there's one on PlayStation. Warframe? Warframe. Yeah, Warframe is pretty but much everywhere. I would s- their model is actually probably one of the better. Paragon. Game. But I can think of a, a lot, lot of MOBAs do this, actually. I can think of a lot of games that I feel like should, like, they've done enough of games as a service that I think they should have leaned into it and gone free to play. I kind of feel that way about Destiny 2. I feel that way about Overwatch. I feel that way about Counter Strike. A lot of those games just they they have these free to play economies built into them, I feel like. Right. And yet but, I'm still paying sixty dollars for them. Yeah, I mean the developers get the best of both worlds in that scenario. They right. get the microtransaction revenue in the game and they get the initial sixty dollars for selling it to you. Right. They've put themselves in this position where they can have their cake and eat it too. And I I like to think that that won't last. I like to think that eventually something's gotta give. Because I, I personally am sick of paying sixty dollars for a game, and then well, those examples that you mentioned, Overwatch and Destiny Two, are some of the best-selling games of the <laughs> right, year. Yeah. So that, yeah, I highly doubt that that practice is going anywhere. Yeah, but uh, Battlefront Two seems to be going that way, and we we just talked about Battlefront how Two that was. will sell millions and millions when it comes out. I guarantee you, it will. We'll see. I mean, I've seen a lot of people upset about it. Yeah, but the people you see upset are people like us, and we people like us are not the major ma- the majority who buy these games in the fall. That's just the reality of it. We make up a mo- vocal minority. That's probably true. I would like to point out that I don't hate games as a service. I just hate that that version of it. Um, I'm a big fan of episodic releases. Oh yes, and um, things like Origin Access. I would consider games as a service where. EA makes all these games, but instead of paying for them individually, you just pay them 15 bucks a month, and you get access right. to all of them. And uh, <coughs> an indie version of that just came out called Jump. Uh, I'm a big fan of that concept, although I am afraid of Jump devaluing indie games even more. Although there's not that that's already happening a lot. Right. That's um, a whole other topic. Just kind of get, getting back to the specific games... Uh, do you guys have examples of games as a service that you've played recently? I mean, I put a, a good bit into Warframe, but that has a really nice like structure. So you put a good bit into Warframe. Did you Not spend recently. 
I've spent. Did you spend money bit. in it? Because they ever so often they give you like seventy five percent off the in game currency for right. free. So it's just <laughs> like why not? But yeah, th- but that amount like adds up over time. Right. Um, I can think of a certain game as a service that you and I have both put far too many hours in. Ammon, uh, Maple Story, and yes, yeah, that is definitely. I mean, that was. They probably pioneered into games as a service. They, they were definitely one of the pioneers. Yeah. They're... Um, I think they've made all the mistakes, completely, but I think they've also... Completely free to play, but I guarantee you they make more money than most companies out there. Yeah, and they've adapted, I think, a lot. Like, they, you know, they discovered that how much people hate pay to win, and they've kind of adapted to it and all. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, they tread a lot of ground that hadn't been before, and now it's spreading to Western games and... right. Yeah, the, big, the biggest game I can think of right now is Destiny 2, obviously. I wouldn't... See, Destiny 2 sits in a weird place in my mind because I don't think I would strictly call it a game as a service, but it's I could see it eventually ending up 100% in that camp. I mean, I, I think it will be because Destiny 1 was. Destiny 1, you played it, and you beat all the content, and then you expected a DLC to come and give you more content, and that's exactly like... Right. So, so like that's the exact model like World of Warcraft ran on, and that see, was decidedly games as a service. It, it, I, I suppose you're right, but in my mind, if they were going to do Destiny as a service, they should just have one game called Destiny and just add to that. They made a clear delineation between Destiny and Destiny 2, and you know, to the person who isn't familiar with Destiny, they look pretty much exactly the same, but I can tell you as a fan who's played both pretty extensively, the, the gameplay is tweaked enough from 2 to 1 to where... Uh, a lot of things are radically different. Like, PvP encounters play completely differently in Destiny 2 than they did in Destiny 1. But that's getting a little off-topic. What I'm saying is, the fact that they have a numbered sequel with all these gameplay changes makes me think they might not go strictly the games as the service route for Destiny, even though I think they probably should. See, I'm not not convinced, because I don't think a numbered sequel (coughs) means that, because a game as a service can just be game as a service for a year. I don't know how long people were playing the first Destiny, how many... It was out for three years. It was out for three years, yeah. Yeah. That seems like a safe time, and then you launch the new one and do the same thing again. That seems safe to me, and that gives you time to uh, upgrade your technology significantly to... You get a second release, and that attracts a ton of new people. Yeah, like I said, they have the best of both worlds. Yeah, like a long-standing game... I mean, even not including the $60, but, like, a long-standing game, you get a lot more users with a release than you do with an update. So mm-hmm. it was awesome that Destiny 2 <laughs> got a second release. You know, they got all the E3 coverage and all that right. that they would not have probably gotten. If Interestingly it was enough, Destiny 2 has not sold as well as Destiny 1. Huh. Uh, that's a trend I think I'm seeing more and more with sequels nowadays. Well, I, th- I think interesting. people might be getting upset about the the loot crates and games as a service right. type deal. I, I like to think that there's going to be some backlash for that because... I highly doubt it. I still think more than enough people are uh, happy to pay. I mean, if sales are going down, it, it's not... Publishers are not going to be happy with making money. If they see sales going down, they're going to adapt to try to fix that. Well, I've got a very strong feeling in my head that their solution is to think of a new innovative microtransaction or loot box. I'm fine with that. I yeah. I think I think that I don't have a problem with game developers trying to make more money. I have a problem with them doing it in a way that annoys me. In a way that <laughs> like, seems like they're 
in a predatory in a, in a predatorial way, way yeah right because i, way to I say like it. games as a service i i like the idea you know i'm as somebody who wants to get into game development, I very much like the idea that video games can be a sustainable Right, industry. and it's not just like a one-time release and then it collects dust a few months later. Right, I just think... I don't think we've found it yet. I don't think we've found the way to do it. We're certainly honing uh, honing in on it, though. Right. More I mean, and more games are going that format. Because everybody thought microtransactions were around and they were never going to go away, but you don't see them anymore. You see loot boxes. Like I don't, I can't think of a game I play right now that just has microtransactions. Yeah, that's sort of the 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 natural evolution, I guess, of microtransactions. A smarter way to do microtransactions. Right. So I'm interested in seeing what's next. I guess I uh, I am a little worried about games as a service though, because I I don't play a ton of multiplayer games. I'm just mm-hmm. not that into it really. Um, I'm the same way. Destiny's the one exception. Yeah, I like a single player experience. Um, not necessarily narrative driven, but like. Really well crafted, beginning and end, that sort of thing, and that's the sort of game that has the most trouble adapting to games as a service. That model. Sort of a side note. That's another topic we can have sometime. The sort of decline of single player games and the rise of multiplayer games, because that's definitely where the industry is heading. Right. I mean, I think that's why uh, Visceral, uh, the EA right. studio, Visceral just got shut down because they make amazing single player experiences. NEA has decided that the market doesn't want that right now, God, or that yeah. there's more if, money if to make. If people didn't hate EA enough already. Right, but I don't <laughs> think there's going to be any backlash over this. Not really. No, there's already been a lot of backlash. I mean, sales-wise. Oh, there probably will be. Like, EA is well-renowned for Honestly, studios. I think there, there will be from people like us, again. But, like, the vast majority didn't even know this game... When I say this game, I'm talking about the Star Wars single-player game that was in development. They probably didn't even know it was in existence. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't yeah. know it was in existence until I found out about Visceral I mean, shutting down. It and was, I was very into this sort of thing. Yeah, and I was very much excited for that game because Amy Hennig, who previously wrote the story for Uncharted 1, 2, and 3, uh, actually moved to EA and was writing for that game. Oh, wow, that so, game would have been amazing. That game was going to be amazing, and now we'll never see it. Right. And, and I it's think... because EA's seeing more profit in sort of uh, more multiplayer-centric experiences moving away from seeing. Although right. we can't, and, and the reason we, multiplayer... we can't say that definitively. There might have been right. like development problems and stuff with but, that game. But, but Well, no, no. They have said definitively that they looked at the market, and that was why... They changed mm. the direction of the game. And fundamental market shifts, as they said. Yeah, and the oh, fundamental that's, market that's shift disgusting. is games as a service. and they c- So that game's going to come out one day, and it's just going to be a multiplayer game with loot boxes and right. microtransactions. Or a single-player yeah. game with microtransactions and loot boxes. Oh, man. <clears throat> but the, the thing is, they just haven't figured out... Because EA, I mean, uh, we can hate EA all day. But they're not, they don't want to make a bad game. That's not what they're course, setting out yeah. to do. They just haven't figured out a way to do the huge budgets that they like without making it multiplayer. They haven't figured out how to do games as a service as a single-player game in a way that isn't atrocious yet. And they're probably looking at the humongous backlash to Shadow of War right now, and they're sitting there thinking, like, oh, well, single-player with loot crates is bad, so we have to make this game multiplayer. kind of makes me worry about Bioware, because Bioware doesn't do multiplayer uh, games-as-a-service type games, but... right. You know, although and Bi- but Bioware, th- their latest releases have not been doing well. I think EA is definitely probably noting that, and I think episodic release could work really well for Bioware games, <laughs> though. I don't think there's any reason it couldn't. 
It's just um, people are afraid to do episodic releases right now. I, I don't even think there's any backlash for those, really. Like, Well, a couple of companies come to mind when you say episodic releases, like Telltale and Don't Nod, who do Life is Strange. I, you see, the first one I think of is Hitman and like, oh, right, Life is right, Strange. Right. Square Enix. Because I think, I think Hitman probably did it best, the episodic release. Because its levels are so yeah, separate. I think I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah, and I think, but I also think it was able to do its perfect, like very linear, or not very linear, but like its narrative and everything. We're not harmed at all by the episodic release, right? So I, I just think that that's something game developers should look at more, because I don't think it's going to hurt the games. I think a big reason that it's not being looked at as much is. They don't see the dollar signs there. I mean, Hitman, it sold well, but I think it underperformed pretty significantly, unfortunately. And you don't hear about these Telltale games selling extraordinarily well either. Well, the problem is Hitman was never a super high-selling series that I know of. Right. It was, you know, you were <clears> never going to see... I suppose it would take the, like, one major company, like, biting the bullet and just jumping in and seeing how it works for right. them. I just think it could be, like, people complain about DLC and season passes and things, but I would have no problem with being sold, like, six $20 chunks of a game, I don't I don't think, even. And then you're making... If it's presented appropriately, right, I think that would yeah. be okay. I, I, you know, like, I wouldn't have... I don't think I would have a problem paying for a Dark Souls game in that way, you know? Or... See, we're definitely off topic now, but I have to bring this up just because we ve- veered into it. How not to do an episodic game is how they're handling the Final Fantasy VII remake. How Square is doing that. Which is just like, it baffles me. Because it's like, Final Fantasy VII was not... It was a cohesive... It was like a complete experience when it first came out. They want to split the remake into multiple parts and sell them. See, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's very strange. I I, I mean, it was a long game. <laughs> and by splitting it... As long as they're not like charging $60 for each... I think by splitting it up, I mean, because it's a, it's not. I don't think there's any reason to do that though. Is it a remake or is it like retelling the same story? It's it's uh like because they're it's already... made from the ground up again. They like changed mechanics, okay, graphics so, completely. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't think I have a problem with it because like that kind of thing takes forever to do. This way, they can release the first part sooner, and, and like then work I, on the, the subsequent the, parts. Yeah, and the future parts can be better for it. Because that's, that's, even outside of games, and we're getting way off topic now, but in software, that's a trend. As, yeah, like modular releases. Yeah, you want to release sooner so that you can find out what you did wrong and fix it. In your I don't know, I releases. guess my problem is that I just don't trust them with what they're doing. It's Square, I mean, I don't. I trust Square Enix. I'll, I'll, Specifically the division behind, like, Final Fantasy just seems like, they seem like a bunch of clowns to me. I mean, we'll definitely <laughs> see. It'll be, it'll be a topic to revisit, but I think I think <clears> that <throat> might be the one that shows that episodic releases have a future in the market. I hope. That has potential, yeah. But yeah, anyways, uh, do we want to wrap up this sort of discussion on games as a service? I can go back to Bioware for a because on EA Access, Mass Effect Andromeda actually just released. It's the same year as it released. They've basically shuttered all development on it. Mm-hmm. No DLC. I think it might have had a season pass, but it's not getting anything anymore. It did that bad that they're shuttering all development on it. Right. And that's another thing. I mean, games as a service, this is just kind of an aside, but um, the way we expect our games to be updated after release so much now, 
like we have like developers need to have continuous income to be able to afford to pay developers to release the updates. Yeah, release yeah. updates cuz like, you know, you don't get any money out of a patch <clears throat> that bug fixes, you know, you've already got your money. Mhm. I can make the failure of Mass Effect Andromeda an entirely another topic. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> there's there's a lot that went wrong. Most of it was around EA and Frostbite. And I think we have talked about that. Standardized, we've, we? d- we've mentioned it. We haven't like gone fully into it. But yeah, games as a service, I think it's an interesting new way that games are being presented to us. And I don't think that they're inherently bad, but they do have some, potentially have predatorial practices like nickeling and diming us with loot crates and microtransactions and stuff. But it is certainly more lucrative for developers to go this route, and we'll definitely be seeing it more going forward. Yeah, it's going to have growing pains. Bad things are going to happen from it. The same way, like, the carryover from arcade to home console. Like, there were a lot of growing pains there, and there's going to be a lot of growing pains here. But I think once we get to the other side of it, we're going to get better games out of it. I agree. All right. Our last topic for today is going to be probably the most popular game in the world right now, Player Unknown Battleground. Did I say it right? Player I don't... Unknown's Battleground. Player, Player Unknown's is, Battleground. It's a person, like Gary's mom. So, yeah, as is evident, I have never played it. Obviously, I've heard all about it. But I think Connor and Michael know a lot more about it than I do, so I'm just going to have them take the reins here. Right, so Player Unknown's Battleground is the first game in what is becoming a, a battle royale genre. Right, it, it it created that genre, sort of, right? So, yeah, I'm just going like, <coughs> to kind of talk... Th- I'm going to talk through what a game of PUBG looks like. Uh, PUBG is short for Player Unknown's Battleground. For, we'll, uh, we'll refer to it as PUBG going forward. Right, so um, basically you spawn into a plane with 100 people on it, and nobody has any guns or anything. And everybody, this plane flies over an island, and everybody jumps out of the plane whenever they want, and they land, and they start picking up guns, picking up equipment and stuff at, to kill each other. And um, So I have a question. If you can jump out whatever, whenever you want, if you just wait, doesn't that inherently like give you an advantage because you'll be away from everyone else? Yes. I mean, but everybody else can wait too. And the island is only so big. So you don't really oh, want to. So you be have in. to jump out. So, okay, you I do see. have to okay. jump out. Yes, there. It flies over the island and keeps flying. Okay. And so you kicks, just lose if you. No, it kicks yeah. you out at the last moment. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And you fall. So uh, you know that's one strat is to ride the plane and kill all the AFK people. Interesting. Um, okay. But um, your objective is to be the last one alive. That's the only <laughs> thing you really get significant points for. Kills aren't worth that much. Uh, the map. So there's like this big blue like barrier that closes in on the map as the game goes on to make it smaller. And if you're outside of that barrier, you take constant damage. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. So it keeps the pressure on, because the map is humongous. There's 100 people running around looting it. And you basically, you kill people, you take their loot. Is there you... only one map right now? There's only one map, but there are two more uh, coming soon. Okay. Or at least one's coming soon. There's two more coming total I'm getting that I know of. Huge, like, Hunger Games vibes yeah, from this description. It's very but... much, yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's obviously, like, it's a very Hunger Games concept. Right. And uh, you can also, you don't have to play it solo. There's also a duos and a squad of four. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> I feel like solo is probably the most popular, though, right? I think squad's probably the most popular. Okay. It's the one I enjoy the most, because it's, um, PUBG's just amazing, because in the same game, I I get a feeling of, like, triumph in a fight. I get, like, 
a road trip with my friends as we all get into a car and have to, like, floor it to stay in the circle. I get, like, excited about equipment I'm finding all the time. It right. Just, there's a lot of... And I also get, like, huge tension because, like, when you die, you're out. There's no respawn. Right. It's very high stakes. And, uh, you know, a lot of... You know, you get angry at your friends. You get really happy when somebody, like, suddenly saves you. Yeah, it seems like... Uh... Who's the de- developer again? Uh, it's Blue Hole. Blue Hole. It seems like they've stumbled upon an interesting sort of formula because all these different sort of emotions you get by playing these like different genres of games, they've encapsulated it all in one game, if I that mean, makes sense. The developer or the lead developer, Brendan Green, or player unknown as he's known as, has <clears throat> basically been behind every single major Battle Royale mod that's come out. Right. He started out doing... Um... Arma 3's Battle Royale. Yeah, Arma 3. And then he went to H1Z1 Battle Royale, and now he's So he's sort of been perfecting this. He's been working on it for a good amount of time. He's the one who started it. Right, yeah. And it's very... And that's why PlayerUnknown's Battleground is a very pure version of this concept, is because he's heading it up. And then you have things like... uh, I believe Fortnite just released a Battle Royale mode. Right. people, People call it more casual, and I've watched some gameplay in it. It seems to have some mechanics that just don't fit. So yeah, I building. just sort of interjecting here. I've heard of Fortnite releasing that mode, and I it got me thinking. Like, obviously, people are looking at player P- PUBG and seeing like, oh my god, this is the new hot thing. Right. So like, every I mean, yeah. everyone's going to be rushing to make this sort of battle royale style like genre. Yeah, of game. I, and that's why I said yeah, I said it started <clears throat> a genre, and I'm I'm excited for that because I think it's a really good game, but Blue Hole. They just don't really seem like seasoned developers to me. There's just some some wacky stuff yeah. going on, and I'd like to see. I just I'm interested in other people's take on it. I guess. Yeah, it would be interesting to see like a, a fully fledged AAA battle royale type game. Right. So what that could be, like if Bungie made something like that, that would be pretty crazy. I think. Right, and it's it's you know just like we were saying earlier, it's a it's a game that lends itself very well to games as a service. Things like that. So, you know, the money's there. Right. After saying Bungie, I just got the vision in my head of Destiny 2 getting a Battle Royale mode. I feel like that could happen in the coming years. See, I think that'd be really weird for a game like that uh, because it's so dependent on, like, character right. progression. Right, uh, Yeah, you can't, like, pick up items. Right. I suppose that's a huge component and that's, of it. Yeah. That's massive because um, just <clears throat> the, the little lottery you play at the beginning of a game of PUBG is huge. Like, right. Y- you know, you can get so bad gear at the very beginning. Is the loot, like, be, randomized? It is. Each time? Okay, cool. You can't memorize. Like, certain locations are more likely to have good loot, I think, and I think there are maps posted everywhere, but I have won a couple of games just fine not looking at those maps, like, just diving in. and Yeah. Of course, I, I, you know, I get most of my good loot from killing somebody else who found it first, and that's a perfectly fine strategy. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a whole lot of fun. I just, I suppose I'm waiting for a console release, because I'm mostly playing on console. Right, I but don't know that it's coming to PS4. Though. It is. It is? It's, it's coming to Xbox One first, mm. but it'll come to PS4 later. Okay. Player Unknown <clears throat> is actually probably close and tied to League of Legends. Like, the top stream for Player Unknowns right now has almost 40k viewers in one stream. That's the most popular stream on Twitch right now. And I remember, like, the news, uh, the Steam metrics, it, it had, like, the most concurrent players. Right, like, yeah, it's top Of all time, yeah. yeah. So that's that's yeah. insane to me. And it's, it's massive because it's not a game that you can run on a bad computer. Like, I feel like Dota 2 can run on fairly old hardware. You can run it reasonably on anything. 
to an extent. But Player Unknown's Battleground is not that way at all. It chugs even on my gaming PC if I max out all the settings. And, you know, it's just... It's, it's amazing to me that people are still yeah. playing it. This new, I guess, there was this uh, real thirst for this genre that this game sort of unearthed. Right. I mean, I know a lot of people were playing, like, <laughs> Hunger Games game modes in Minecraft for a long time. And right. I, I was... I, I liked it, but I, I, you know, the, the combat mechanics in Minecraft are just not good enough for right. this to me. And so this is finally at that point where I can really get into it. I mean, it's kind of a step over what H1Z1, <clears throat> which is what it's not. It used to be King of the Kill, and now they just changed it so back to H1Z1. Is there like, to do. Um, just curiosity, is there some sort of like cosmetic reward you get for winning a game? Because yes, I feel like are, winning a game a is a pretty big achievement. There's a loot crate system. You get points for winning a game, <clears throat> a certain number of points, and you can buy a crate. Some of the crates you have to buy a key to open. Some of them you don't. And the crates okay. are set weekly. Yeah, the so like, costs. every time you buy a crate, the cost of a crate doubles. And, and then they're all every week. cosmetic? They, the uh, they're all cosmetic, but camouflage is a thing. Oh, I see. Okay. But all the items that are in crates, to my knowledge, you can find them in the game as well. All the clothing items. Okay. So, and, the, and like the ones that are good camouflage are not super rare to find. Like Clothes are just strewn on the floor everywhere. And I'm assuming so. you could just pay for these crates if you don't want to win games. I don't believe you can, no. Oh, no. okay. That's you really cool. Open them. But you can just buy the items oh, in a, in a okay. marketplace in like Steam from other players. Yeah, yeah, Steam Marketplace. Oh, I see. Like okay, the, interesting. Coat, the long coat that came out for with the pre-orders is like $300 now. Right. And it's, the value um, keeps rising. But that, what, what seems interesting to me is that the items that are incredibly valuable in the game are not the ones that would make you a better player. Like, it's silly stuff, like like bright yellow clothes and stuff. That or is... the <laughs> trench coat. Right. It's not stuff that makes <clears throat> for better camouflage, really. Right. It's more of like a status thing, like, I have this thing. But I think it's interesting, because one of the things that makes PUBG so fun is that nobody really plays it in a way that is conducive to winning, I guess, like... Because the obvious answer is you don't want to fight. You want to hide. Because right. all you have to do is survive till the end. But it, that's not how anybody plays it. Everybody moves around and tries to kill people. Like, stuff. I've watched streamers like, oh, let's just drop on school. I mean, they weren't trying to win. They just wanted to try and win school because everyone drops on school. Yeah, school is um, just a place that the plane almost always flies over. And it's, I think it's right in the center of the map. Yeah, and it has a lot of gear. And so it turns into a Call of Duty map, basically, yeah. at the beginning of the game. And, like, whoever wins school is usually, like, armed to the teeth. So when you start out, do you start out with nothing or do you have, like, a knife or something? You have nothing. You, have nothing. you just have your, you have fists. your fists. So you can so. kill you can someone punch. with your fists? Yes, but it's very difficult. Because I was, I would imagine if like a lot of people dropped into the school or whatever, like right, there's it would usually instantly, a couple, like a brawl would break out. There are really. a couple of punch fights, but usually <clears> everybody. <throat> no, I I usually don't see people start punching each other. It's usually a race to find a pistol and start shooting unarmed people. Because punching, you can just run <laughs> away from the person punching you, and that's, you can keep that's them going pretty forever. bonkers. Yeah, like I've seen people get kited for what feels like twenty minutes while their teammates, fi- well, they're the person who's running away, his teammates find a gun and kill the guy who's chasing him down with his fists. Yeah, I feel like this would be very entertaining to watch as well. I, I love it, uh, watching it. I think it will be once they fix up their spectator mode, which is still pretty bad. Mm-hmm. It definitely needs some work, but, uh, you know, it's it's an early access game. They're working on it. Yeah, that, that blows my mind, too. It's an early access game, and it's already the most popular game on Steam. Everything's an early access game, though. I mean, there's zombie PUBG's zombie mode isn't something to laugh at either. Like, it's kind of impressive how they managed to do that. Right. I haven't had a chance to play it, but it's very like, cool. I've <clears> seen <throat> like a 
group of like four people walking across the bridge, and then all of a sudden you see a horde of 75 people pop out of nowhere. So yeah, for those that don't know, PUBG's zombie mode, um, you get one squad of humans, and then everyone else in the game is a zombie. Oh, so the zombies which, are all players. And zombies, all naked men. zombies can't use guns. They can only punch. And but do so, they have like more health or something? Uh, no, there's depends. just a lot of them. There's, yeah, there's okay. just a lot of them. Yeah, they it's, can easily it's usually overwhelm you. four people versus 96 zombies, so... I see. Four to eight people, 96 zombies. Depending on if the, the zombies decide to team, team kill each other because they can, because they haven't fully fleshed that system out where the zombies are all in one squad. Right, you can't random matchmake into a zombie game, I don't believe. You have it to, has to be in a lobby. Yeah. And yeah. I think lobbies are only to certain people. Right, so... Like streamers. It, it's Yeah, it's still not something that everybody can do, but um, it's really fun. It's cool to watch. Yeah, I watch a live stream where they play zombies a lot, and it's very fun. Yeah, my interest has definitely peaked more. Like, I, I knew it was a great game, but, like, just hearing the details of it definitely makes me more interested in it. I definitely think I'll at least check it out on Twitch or something. It's definitely something to keep your eye on. Yeah. It's it, it's <clears throat> very interesting. There's so many ways to go. Like, there's another streamer I watch. He's been trying to win a game with the crossbow. He right. actually did manage it. Right, the crossbow is um, it's one of the worst guns in the game because it only shoots once, but you get... And it doesn't shoot very far. But if it hits, you get a kill pretty much. Yeah, it, or you take off half their health. But it, ha it has a very long reload time. Uh, I, you know, I've gotten some kills with it. It's not, it's not atrocious. So I, I've got another question. What? How big of a factor is skill in this game versus, it, like, randomness? So it's, it's very big. Like, I know people that have never won, and that's because they're not good at it. But I know people, I don't know anybody that, like, you're never going to be so good that you win every game you drop into. Mm -hmm. Luck is a huge factor because you have to get good loot. Like, <clears throat> there's always the chance you're just not going to find anything and you're going to get killed. But the map is big enough and there's enough chances to find loot that I never feel like I'm getting screwed. So I guess yeah. my follow-up question to that is, based off of that, could you see it having an eSports scene? It, it, it already does. It, yeah, it already does. Oh, really? Okay. Yes, like, I've heard, like, a streamer actually said at one point, sure, you can hide all game and have crappy loot, but once you get into that, like, final five or ten or whatever, you're going to have to fight. And right. it's where, that's where the skill comes in. Like, it's all luck up until the end where it's just you and nine other people. Right. That's uh, the... It, I did not know about that map shrinking mechanic. That's, like, definitely a huge game changer. And I've actually heard of occasions where... It, if people camp out in that little circle because they're all in town and they don't want to leave because they're just going to get gunned down, the map will just close itself in and everyone will die. Yeah, it closes itself in entirely. And whoever has the most health kits wins pretty much yeah. at that point. So no matter what, someone has to win. Someone has someone to win. Has to yeah. win yeah. The game is self-limiting. It has a finite time limit. Yeah, which I, I love because that means... Um, you know, I can sit down to play a game of PUBG and I know how long it's going to be. It's roughly. not like a game of Dota or other yeah. time-limited games where it's just like, oh, I'm going to sit here for half an hour plus. Yeah, they're about 25 minutes, I think. Oh, that's, not, most. that's not bad. That's not assuming you get knocked out early. Yeah, Very interesting. And, yeah, but um, you do have to... Um, I can't play... It's a game that I can't really play like late at night or something. It's, it's not a game I, I'm capable of playing casually. Yeah, I, I imagine it demands lots of you know attention and focus. It's and like it's very stressful. I'll put headphones on to play. It's like the only game I'll do that for. Because you can hear footsteps Yeah, you got to hear footsteps. Yeah. And I'm just like... I can't relax right after a game of it like I can most games. It yeah. very much is That's something crazy. I have to get into to play it. And I just don't enjoy it if I don't do that. 
But that, that may just be me, but I don't do that with other games. This is the only game I have that does that to me. No, and it's understandable. After you talking about the mechanics of it, it seems like a very stressful experience. I mean, a lot of fun, though. are a big point. Like, you can hear gunshots in the distance, and you can hear whether it's silenced or not. Right, and, you know, you, you have to make that call, like, oh, do I want to go sneak up on these guys, or do I want to not go anywhere near them? Or do I want to mm-hmm. wait around and hope ambush and fight them. the bit? Yeah. The victor. Very cool. Yeah, I definitely need to check this out. Any concluding thoughts? That's fun. I love watching it. I'll, I'll watch it on Twitch and get back to you guys. I'll, I'll bring it to Extra Life with me. As usual, we round out the show by talking about <clears throat> games we're playing or games that we recommend. I'll go ahead and start this week off by saying uh, what I'm playing, which is Destiny 2. So I put a large, I would say large amount, of like 500 hours plus into Destiny 1. I can see myself doing something similar with Destiny 2. If, if you're familiar with Destiny... Some would say it's more of the same, but there have been enough like subtle tweaks here and there to make for fresh, engaging, uh, moment-to-moment gameplay. And I would say just the gunplay in general and like the balance of the classes, everything feels a lot more refined this time around. Um, and there's certainly more content in Vanilla Destiny 2 than there was in Vanilla Destiny 1. There is a problem right now, I would say, with Endgame, because... When you sort of reach the maximum power level limit and you have the guns you want, there's no real incentive to keep playing. But I'm sure Bungie is fully aware of this and is working on, like, a system that'll keep the hardcore players coming back. Yeah, um, I mean, there's DLC in the pipeline. It's Destiny. Yeah. yeah. The, they've already, I think they've already announced the first DLC. I'm loving it. I, I'm having a ton of fun with it. Uh, there's still things I haven't done yet in the game. Like, I still haven't done the raid. To yeah, completion. I was, I was about to ask if you'd beaten it yet. Yeah, I only, I've only attempted it once. It's just such a huge time commitment, but I, I certainly plan on doing that. I, do you guys know what trials are? I don't. It's their PvP, right? Uh, it's like their hardcore PvP. So yeah. like, you get better loot if you win <coughs> like seven games without losing any. Oh wow. Yeah, and like seven games in a row. And the idea is, the more games you play, the better teams you get matched up against. Like, so. Do you get to choose your team? Yeah, you have to go in with a team. Okay, that's Um, interesting. So me and my clanmates, we did trials. My clanmates, they've gone flawless before, but this was my first time playing trials, and we went like seven and two, so we got like really pretty decent loot from that. Because if you lose three times, then you're out, and then you have to restart from the beginning, like getting your seven wins. Okay. Um, and but that's a lot of fun. Very high pressure. Yeah, that sounds very difficult. Yeah, it's it's it demands a lot of teamwork and coordination, but it's it's also one of the most rewarding modes in that game. The story this time around is much much improved from Destiny Destiny One because Destiny One didn't really even have a story. It was just like some loosely tied together campaign missions, but this one clearly sets the tone at the beginning and follows through mm-hmm. on that. And um, it's nothing revolutionary, but it's. I would say completely serviceable in a game like Destiny and what we should sort of expect going forward in ter- in terms of like campaign content from Destiny. Um just all in all really fun game. I'm having a blast with it and I don't see myself stopping anytime soon. All right, and um I I'm I'm kind of torn on whether or not I'm going to check out the PC release that's coming soon for Destiny 2. Right. I mean, when I see gameplay of it, it just looks so good in thir- uh, in 60 frames per second. It just yeah. seems so smooth, the, the gameplay. 
But I just got to decide whether or not that's my game because uh, I never played the first one. You don't need to have. But um, what what have you been playing, Connor? I've been playing A Hat in Time, which is uh, a lot of people haven't heard of it. It's uh, it's an indie game. Uh, it started on Kickstarter, and it actually started development long before Ukulele as the game that is going to bring back the third-person platformer. And um, I didn't play Ukulele, but um, I heard a lot of backlash. And the people that complained about it, I just don't see any of those issues in A Hat in Time. It plays a lot like um, Super Mario 64 or um, Super Mario Sunshine, more so than it would play like Banjo-Kazooie. So, like, you have your one collectible per, like, mission that mm-hmm. you're trying to go get. And uh, there's there's 40 of them in the game, so it's not crazy long. I was able to 100% the game in about 10 hours. Yeah. But I did. I sat down, and it was, it was in two days. I 100%ed it. It was just so engaging the whole way through. The characters were adorable. The animations were good. The world was gorgeous. I just, I just fell in love with it. I I just kind of bought it like impulse. Like I hadn't I didn't kickstart it. I didn't like really follow development at all. But I just saw a trailer for it and I was like, yeah, well I'll give it. You know, Steam does refunds, so I figured I'd mm-hmm. give it two hours to see if I liked it. And I I did. I loved it so much. I uh, I'm really excited. It's got DLC coming. There's gonna it's free DLC. There's two more worlds coming. I don't know how many. Uh like stars basically that's in awesome. super mario terms it's they're called time pieces in the game your comparison to mario 64 and sunshine really like piques my interest because 64 was the first game i ever played so it's definitely got like a very strong nostalgic hold over me so if it's similar to that in any way i would definitely be interested oh, in playing it's it. very much like it, it's it straddles the line because you know how like in super mario sunshine the levels changed based on which mission you picked mm-hmm. it kind of does that sometimes <clears throat> I mean, it, it kind of does that a lot, but the some of the worlds are open, some of them aren't, and there's like secrets hidden that you have to find, things like that. It's very cool. Okay. And uh, nice. the uh, my cons would be that the narrative is pretty weak, but it's it's like you don't really need a narrative in yeah. a game like that, though. Really, and it it is adorable, and the characters are very good. So, nice. I I love that. It also has mod support now. I don't know if it's getting that on consoles, but. On PC, you know, people are porting Super Mario 64 levels into a oh, man, time. that's crazy. And that's just very cool to me. And, like, you know, stuff from Psychonauts 2 is getting put into it. It's it's interesting. Nice. Uh, I, I'm, I keep turning it on and wishing there was more content for me to play in it. Right. I guess it, it definitely left me excited for what's coming. That sounds fantastic. Uh, Michael, you? Uh, I've been playing Total War Warhammer 2. Which it's an older game, isn't it? No, Warhammer Two just came out. Warhammer Two just came out. Yeah, okay. Warhammer Two just came out like this month, the month before last, and it took a lot of the stuff that I found really bad about Warham- the first Total Warhammer, and improved massively upon it. Like the region lock system, where only certain races could co- could actually be in certain regions, is completely gone and replaced with a much better climate system, where your race could be in that area, but you'll get major debuffs because they're not meant to be living in that area. Like, it's too cold for the lizard men or whatever. <laughs> Sorry, so. that, that, I don't know. I just found that really funny. I like that as a mechanic. I like that they're not, like, they're not stopping you. They're just like, hey, this is not a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Like, and every single race plays so differently than each other. So, 
I'm not familiar with the Warhammer. Like, what kind of game is it? Like, what genre it's, would you It's classify? another Total War game. What is it? But, well, yeah, I haven't, I haven't played So what is a Total War game? Total War is turn-based in the big campaign map, just like a Civ game or whatever. Okay. And then once you get into battles, they're all real-time. Oh, that so sounds it's real-time okay. strategy. Real, uh, yeah, yes. okay. it's kind of a combo between the two. That's Total okay. War games have been that since their inception, where they'd have the big campaign map that's all turn-based and a lot of grand strategy kind of, you know, what am I going to build in this town and where am I going to move my army? And okay. then you get down to the game, the actual meat of the game, which is the battles. And it's Ray, a complex, like RTS kind of style. Where, where am I, spearmen, are going to do? When do I need to bring my cavalry around the back and destroy the artillery? Or can I charge them into the rear of the infantry line? Like every single race in that game, as compared to the Warhammer Total War games, they're way different than uh, the first, the older Total War games, which were real armies, where all the armies were relatively similar. They all played kind of the same. They all had the same types of units. In Total Warhammer and its sequel, all the races are really different, except for the elf, the two elves races and two, but they still have their differences. So you could be playing a Skaven race, which are a bunch of rat people, and they have cannon fodder. One of their units literally has a trait that says expendable, and if they die, no one runs. But <laughs> if a major unit dies, the entire army will run, and then they'll come back because... They're scaven and they're cowardly. So you're saying you can lose control of your units based on stuff that happens? More morale. Okay. It's been in there since, I think, the earliest Total Wars, where the units will just break and run. The lizard men, however, they do not break and run. If they get to the point, they'll just you'll just lose control, and they'll just start battling whatever's near them. They don't care. As long as it's an enemy for something more, the large dinosaurs, they'll kill whatever. They don't care. Once they get enraged, there's not much you're going to be able to do. That sounds very cool. And I haven't played the elves or either of the elves yet, but... Yeah, the idea of, like, an RTS-type game where the combat... So, like, if I understand correctly, it switches to real-time as you enter yes. combat. It, like, sort of... like It comes loads a up a game, new screen, right? loads okay. up the map, and then you're there, and you deploy your army and fight. Interesting. It also yeah. has the quest battles, quest battles, which are kind of pre-plotted battles that you have to teleport to a place, and then it'll teleport your army back just yeah. for convenience it, it sake. It sort of sounds like a merging of two genres I'm very much into. So They've done it really well for, forever. Yeah, I definitely... It sounds like something that's very cool, but it's not my uh, it's not my jam. Well, I can't say whether it's my jam or not, because I haven't tried it, but I should like, try it. Maybe I'd like it. I think this is like the 12th or more Total War game that they've released. Cause oh, it's, man. It's been around for a while. That's crazy. Like, I think their first game, what was was it Rome? I don't know. I, I but mean, that they've had like a... so many Total War games. <laughs> That'd be a good place and to And they've start. had so long to fix it and make it better. Right, so they've, right. they've honed their We're finding it for a while, yeah. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And like I said earlier... We took a huge break for like four or five months before, but now we're all kind of settled again, and we're going to be pretty regular for the foreseeable future, so tune in each week and give us a listen.